Stay tuned to the Troncast. We're going to be talking to Paul Moore from Wellings Capital. You can find him at wellingscapital.com. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about real estate investing. He recently wrote a book called The Perfect Investment about multifamily investing. Uh, Paul also works in the self-storage industry as an investor and uh, has an interesting story. We're going to talk to Paul in a little bit, so stay tuned. Thanks for joining us for another TronCast with me, Tron Jordheim. And today I'm talking with uh, a friend, uh, Paul Moore, who's done some really interesting work on the investment side, particularly in real estate. He's got a great story to tell about how he came to this. And he's not only uh, an excellent student of real estate investing, but he also practices what he learns uh, quite well. And, and uh, Paul, one of the things you and I chatted about at one time was the, uh, the art of saying no to deals. And I know you're, you're getting ready to write a book that kind of deals with that a little bit. Maybe tell me a little bit more about why saying no is such a good thing sometimes. Hey, Tron. Yeah, you bet. So I, I jumped into being an entrepreneur out of Ford Motor Company in the early 90s. I think it was, yeah, 27 years ago. As an entrepreneur, uh, we are a very optimistic bunch. Entrepreneurs uh, typically find all kinds of reasons to say yes, all kinds of reasons that things are going to go well. And I unfortunately carried that mindset over into my investing life after I sold my company in the late 90s. And I found out that I was very, very wrong. You know, Warren Buffett says that successful people say no a lot, but really successful people say no almost all the time. And I didn't know that. And uh, I made a lot of mistakes. Tron, I've got a podcast called How to Lose Money, after all. I love that. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Hey, I could could talk on that podcast some. I mean, there's been times when I've, you know, spent thousands to make hundreds, you know, so... (laughs) Yeah, it's really easy to do, isn't it? Uh, sometimes it is. So, yeah, so I, we, we, you know, I, I, I think that I think a really important thing to think about is Keith Cunningham is a guy who's lost a hundred million dollars and made it back. He made a, he learned a lot of lessons by not staying in his lane, and he said that there are three questions that investors should ask themselves. And he said, almost every entrepreneur investor says, okay, what's the upside? How much can I make? And we're really good at that. Right. But then the second question is, what's the downside? How much can I lose? And less people answer that question, but very few people ask the third question. And that is, can I live with the consequences of being wrong? And that's what we really need to ask ourselves. And that's what's you know, that kind of thought process, studying Buffett, talking about the strike zone, uh, that has led me to a place where we say no almost all the time. 
Yeah, that's that's really an interesting way to approach it because I think you're right. So many times, the uh, you know entrepreneur path is supposed to be, you know, skipping along and smelling flowers and you know bumping into all of the mythical creatures we need to meet to <laughs> you know make our fairy tales come true, and that, that's not the reality of it. And and, uh, you know, that I love positive thinking. Absolutely. And I love, mm -hmm. you know, projecting out the best results and all that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I'm a little tired of the people who say, you know, don't look at the at the downside, forget the, the negative consequences. I think I think that's wrong. Uh, you know, when, yeah. when you pick up a sharp saw and start cutting on a tree i mean you need to look where your fingers are you need to think about which direction that tree's fallen absolutely uh, it's kind of important right yeah it really really is that's for sure so one thing i did really wrong tron is i confused investing versus speculating you know when i sold my ah. company i had a few million dollars in the bank and i told people i'm an investor now and uh i uh so i thought and so by saying yes to almost everything that came along, whether I knew anything about it or not, and plowing a, an un, uh, unwise amount of money into those deals, um, I actually was speculating. You know, investing is when your principal is generally safe yeah. and you have a chance to make a return. But speculating is when your principal is not at all safe. It's fully at risk yeah. and you have a chance to make a return. And I did years of deals like that and you know if you keep playing double or nothing with all your money you're going to land on nothing at some point and then what will you have left to double right that's the that's the problem with that plan right that's why when you're in las vegas at the roulette table you see people putting chips all over the table and you have to think well you're just going to lose 90 percent of that that's crazy but at least they've mm -hmm. spread their risk i suppose you know yeah absolutely true <laughs> i guess but uh yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's funny you mentioned Vegas. Paul Samuelson is the first um, American to win the Nobel Prize in economics. And Paul said um, that investing should be like watching grass grow or watching paint dry. Uh -huh. If you want excitement, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. Right. I think that's a splendid way of, of th talking about it because the, the best investments are boring and seems like nothing's happening and you know just it's just dull <laughs> yeah i think i wrote a a, 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 a pod a, a blog once called the case for being a boring investor and i really believe yeah. that well I, I i think that's great uh tell me about some of the the things that went through your head as you made your transition from the corporate life into this real estate investing life, because that's a, that's a big change in mindset, isn't it? Yeah. So I went from Ford Motor Company to being an entrepreneur in the uh, human resource outsourcing world, first of all. And uh, so did that for a number of years. And actually, my wife was seven months pregnant with our first child when I told her I wanted to quit Ford with one large client, which was uh, amazing to me now, especially now I look back at how unstable that one large client was in our HR company, but uh, we did it and uh, I've never regretted it. I, I, you know, I've, I've worked 
uh, often from my home office, you know, as a real estate professional who invests in other states uh, for years. And um, I think it was great for me to be here for my kids, here for my wife more often. I do miss, I, I went to a WeWork where I was speaking actually in Minneapolis in April and the WeWork environment was just electric. You know, there were people yeah. working everywhere and people sitting popcorn or have and somebody had their dog at work and it was really, but uh, I, I, w I don't think I'd trade it. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I work from home a lot, too. And I also uh, am a member at a co-working space. And, uh, you know, there's times when it's a little noisy and a little distracting, but you also get to visit with people doing all kinds of interesting things. And as you kind of hear some of the things they're up to and share some stories, uh, it, it really helps you from, you know, your mind hardening around your own projects, because that can happen sometimes, too. Yeah, right. So true, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So so what, what, what's your thought on uh, where self-storage is going right now? Because, you know, I've been working in self-storage for probably 20 years, and I've been fascinated at all the twists and turns and, you know, all the great opportunities I've missed and a few of the opportunities I didn't. And, uh, uh, of course, everybody wants to know what the crystal ball says. So where do you think we're at based on some of your wide ranging experience in different commercial properties? Yeah. So our company, Wellings Capital, invests as a fund, uh, multiple funds in self-storage and other asset classes. And, you know, I think it's really followed multifamily in being overheated. There's a lot of reasons that multifamily is overheated. And I think a lot of people have migrated from multifamily or single family investing or flipping into self-storage. And I think it's gotten to the place where it could be overheated. I, I talked to my friend AJ Osborne in Boise, and he said there are massive, massive oversupply of self-storage uh, going up and already in place in Boise. Uh, I talked to uh, a commercial realtor, you probably know, Ashley Compton, mm -hmm. of, uh, and he was telling me about uh, uh, self-storage in Charlotte that was in an overheated area, and they built, and uh, they realized they were filling up, uh, you know, uh, about uh, half the uh, level they thought they would be, and they... Um, they realized that when they were full, they would, when they were stabilized, they'd be at about 60, six, excuse me, $6 million value. And they had 9 million in it. So they just handed the keys back to the bank. So I yeah, think, you know, this, this unbridled enthusiasm, this wild optimism that has driven almost every asset class is coming now to home to roost with self-storage operators, which makes me reinforce the belief that you, I know you believe, Scott Myers believes, and now I believe, and that is it's really important to try to find mom and pop opportunities in the path of growth and acquire those. Right. And, uh, and there's a whole lot of people chasing the same kind of properties. And that, that makes it interesting too. Um, and then there's a whole lot of people sitting on the sidelines, just, you know, watching the clock and, you know, hoping when, uh, when the thing goes south, they'll be able to uh, find some bargains, so to speak. So uh, yeah. it's an interesting time. 
Yeah, it really is, isn't it? It's uh, uh, I, 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 at the same time, you know, I'm seeing people, even though it seems to be overheated as we record this podcast, I'm seeing operators who do a phenomenal job of acquisition who are finding great deals and making investors uh, really an inordinate amount of money still. But they're using that strategy of finding a mom and pop and doing strategic upgrades. Well, and, and my friends at store here and RHW Capital are, are, are finding things. I mean, you can't find one a week. That's not happening. But they are finding things. And some of the projects are just really nice. And they're developing very well. Uh, but back to what we were talking about before, the, the number of ones that they don't look at after a quick sort of you know, evaluation of the top numbers and the ones they say no to, uh, the ratio is, is ridiculous, but really? that's, but that's the art, right? That's the art and the science is, right. you know, turn over so many stones that you will see the one little speck under a stone at some point that you need to see. Right. Right. You know, uh, said, um, every good, every, every problem you have today started out as a good idea. And <laughs> nobody wakes up in the morning and decides they're going to shoot their foot off, you know, but they, uh, right. but you know, that's why it's so important to learn, to underwrite, to learn, to analyze, to learn, exactly. to, you know, figure out when you're getting a good deal and when, you know, you're, you need to pass and you need to learn to pass. Like we talked about earlier in the show. Well, and I think I think you bring up a great point. And so one of the things I like to do and, and I encourage other people to do is go go way beyond the feasibility study. Right. So there's a lot of things that, of course, you have to look at in your feasibility studies, but there's so much more going on. What's really happening in the neighborhood around this property? What is the real competitive environment? Not just, you know, what's the perceived occupancy and what's the perceived market rate and all that sort of thing. But beyond that, because there was a time not that long ago, you could just look at population density, figure out the square foot of storage per capita in the market and go, yep, this will work. But uh, that's not the market. That's not the market we live in now. So there's so much more going on that uh, the, the detective work and the uh, ability to just stand in the market and put your finger to the wind and understand mm -hmm. what's going on makes such a big difference now. Where I've seen people come into some deals that, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, sure, I'm sure it would have worked then. But in today's environment, I'm thinking, my gosh, uh, comes back to the to one adage that someone told me a long time ago was you know just because you can do the deal doesn't mean you should yeah you know yeah, and then it, for you, sure. you for sure right and then the other thing that someone told me a long time ago and i didn't understand it at first but came to understand it quickly is that uh you make money in real estate when you buy not when you sell yeah, it's really true. That's why it's so important to have such a good acquisition team. And I, I think we all know that and you as a, you know, being affiliated with property management know that you make money when you buy, when you upgrade, when you operate well, and when you sell. 
but the buying is certainly the key, isn't it? Yeah, because right there's things you can't fix. And if you and if you go into a project thinking, oh, I can fix that, I can fix that, I can fix that, you can't fix everything, right? You can't you can't fix the location. If you don't have drive by traffic, you can't well maybe you can go to the city and reroute traffic to your place. But <laughs> that's a little hard to do. A little bit. Yeah. So, you know, some things you can't Yeah. Thinking about you know, being overly optimistic, that can, that can cost you a finger. Yeah, no kidding. You know, in going back a minute ago to what you said about checking out what's really going on in the neighborhood, you know, Phil, uh, Phil Fisher was a legendary investor and he actually was one of Warren Buffett's two mentors. Huh. And uh, he, he was really big on what he called scuttlebutt. And that's finding out the truth behind what's going on in a company or on a project, you know, he would talk to employees, former employees, uh, you know, customers, he would talk to fired employees, he would talk to everybody he could to find out the truth about what's going on on inside a company before he invested. And he said no a lot. And Buffett learned a lot from him. Yeah, I can imagine that that would even be more challenging when you're buying operating companies, because there's a uh, so many variables going on there that you you may not even be aware of half the variables you should be aware of right right absolutely that's fascinating yeah well so i know you're working on a new book or two right now T- tell me what you're working on now and what's really sort of occupying your writing time yeah thanks for asking we uh i have a book called the perfect investment which is about multifamily investing i still love multifamily but like i said it's terribly overheated as we record this at least and uh, there's some unbridled optimism chasing deals which makes it really hard for the rational investors to get a good deal um, but I'm, I'm working on another book about self-storage um, I feel like and I've heard a number of people say there seems to be a lack of books uh, podcasts and other educational material out there about self-storage so I'm writing a book on self-storage I'm just crossed the 200 page mark and I'm hoping to have it published this fall. And that's nice. 2019. Yep. And I want to thank you for uh, giving some information. I've got a couple stories uh, in there about you. And nice. uh, so appreciate that. <laughs> and then the next book I'm working on is Warren Buffett's rules for real estate investors. You know, Warren Buffett was not into real estate, but he had a lot of principles and maxims and things he laid down over the years that are, very applicable to real estate investors. So uh, a couple friends of mine and I are writing a book, taking those investing principles and translating them to the mind of the real estate investor. Oh, I think that's splendid. I think that's, that sounds really interesting. Um, Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I can see, you know, how multifamily and self-storage kind of work pretty nicely hand in glove. I mean, that as a, as businesses, they sort of develop together because people follow storage, storage follows people. Uh, and it's a very similar kind of product, uh, right? You just, people aren't living in their storage unit, but their lives are in the storage units. Right. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting companion. And uh, there's probably more to the correlation between those two asset classes heating up 
than maybe we're aware of. So I, I wonder what that looks like sometimes. Yeah, you know, I mean, one thing I love about multifamily and self-storage, but more so in self-storage, is that when people, when there's a recession, people are, you know, maybe downsizing from a two or 3,000 square foot home to an apartment or from a larger home to a 4,000 square foot home, and they need a place to store their stuff. And so that is a nice self-buffering mechanism for self-storage during a recession. And of course, in good times, people are filling up their Walmart or Amazon carts and they're needing a place to store their stuff. And so self-storage, as we know, did surprisingly well during the last recession. Multifamily didn't do quite as well, but it bounced back rather quickly because of a similar reason. And that is as people were downsizing they needed a place to rent when they were losing their homes. And of course, a uh, record number of people lost their homes in the last recession. I don't know if we'll see that again in our lifetime, but who knows? History has a way of rhyming. Right. Well, and, and, and I have a theory about what happened in this particular recession, uh, that self-storage allowed the, the recovery to be quicker because if you look back at what happened during the Great Depression, people just abandoned their things. I mean, what, one of the, the frightening pictures you see from those times is uh, uh, chests of drawers and beds and all sorts of things littering the highway from Oklahoma going to California where people, you know, find work in the fields, you know, a la the Grapes of Wrath story. Mm -hmm. uh, but people didn't save any of their stuff. Whatever they couldn't fit on whatever car they borrowed got abandoned. Right. Last recession, people put their things in storage and as they were able to sort of recover their lives again, they shortcutted the recovery by a lot because they still had a lot of their stuff. Right. So uh, I, I would love to have someone who's a, a sociology economics uh, whiz take a look at that and Tell me whether my uh, theory is uh, just hot air or not, but uh, yeah, I, there's something to that, I think. Yeah, right. I, I think that's great. You know, I've never heard that before, and that's a great point. And um, hmm, I think I might add that to my book. I love that point you made, and I, 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 I can picture what you're talking about, the a chest of drawers on the side of the road, and I think that is a you know, point that nobody, very few people would have been willing to do that in this last recession, right? Right, right. They, uh, they figured out how to get the most important stuff into a storage unit, and then it sat there till they were able to downsize or right. figured out how to reschedule their payments or whatever they, whatever they had to do, or move to somewhere where they could find some work that would sustain them for a while. So, yeah. Um, in yeah. that respect, maybe, you know, self-storage saved the world there that time. I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, the, well, there was no commercial self-storage, as you know, until the mid-60s, and it really didn't proliferate till the late 70s. And so, um, you know, and did, did you know that almost all the self-storage units in the world are in the U.S.? There's only a few thousand outside the U.S. All yeah, the it's, fasc world. it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And I've loved watching that develop over time to see, uh, you know, markets that picked up on storage quickly, like Australia was a was an early adopter. Mm -hmm. uh, 
sort of lockstep behind the U.S., although, you know, smaller population, so it seemed less obvious. And it's really just been in the last, I don't know, five or ten years that we've seen more of it in Europe. Um, Hong Kong adopted self-storage quickly uh, in the after a lot of the manufacturing left because they had so many vacant manufacturing facilities but the rules and regs were not in place to allow them to really grow a business and they had so many interruptions in growing their business because of that where some somehow the grandmothers and grandfathers of self-storage in the united states were able to really craft a legal framework and a regulatory framework that that was just amazingly favorable uh -huh. to the business without being you know consumer unfriendly right but that's what really allowed it to happen when self-storage stopped being warehousing and started being the renting of empty space mm -hmm. um that changed a lot of and then when we got late fees and lien process uh, codified in many states man that that was just like a shot of adrenaline where yeah. most countries are still struggling with what's the legal framework and that that makes the risk huge for people you know right yeah no doubt no doubt that's uh that's something I really haven't studied, but I, I if I'm not mistaken, Tron, I think there are fifty four thousand more or less self storage units. What am I saying? That's not right. Now, how many self storage? Oh, fifty four thousand self storage facilities in the U.S. I was trying to translate right. it to units, and um, there are only uh, maybe five thousand more worldwide, according to the Self Storage Almanac. Yeah, that I saw recently. Isn't, and isn't that stunning? I mean, does that it mean is. we should move to Canada or Australia or New Zealand and start building these? Uh, that seems real risky to me. Right. Well, so the so the the real opportunities for the people who, uh, you know, don't mind arrows in their backs, if you don't mind a culturally insensitive and politically incorrect analogy. Uh, would be places like uh, Lagos and, uh, you know, storage yet. Um, mm -hmm. See, it's a, it's a little early for me to have an appetite for any of those kinds of locations uh, yeah, because the legal the framework are... isn't there. If the legal framework was there, it'd be different. Right. Yeah. Those are the people who are going to be the pioneers. They're going to make the big bucks. There's going to be books written about them. But, you know, there's probably a 10 or 20 or 100 to 1 ratio of people who will do that and fail, and you'll never hear about them. Well, right. Uh, and, and, and that's maybe mm, a problem we have, too, or, or, you know, part of this overly optimistic thing is we don't really like the failure stories. We don't want to talk about those unless there's some, you know, Phoenix rising on the other side of that where, uh, you know, the fellow you were talking about before, he lost $100 million, now he gained $100 million. That's a fabulous story. But how many people do we talk about who lost their fortunes and they've still lost their fortunes? Right. We don't really like talking about those. Those are uncomfortable. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And those are the kind of things that we talk about on our How to Lose Money podcast. And uh, hopefully you've never lost any money, Tron. But if you would like to be a guest, we'd love to have you on. <laughs> As as a human, I have lost money. 
show me someone who hasn't lost money and that's someone who either leads a very protected life or has never taken a risk i think right yeah that's that's probably true i don't know anybody who has and we've had a few people turn us down as potential guests and it's really hard to believe them when they say i can't think of a time i lost money but uh i'm sure there's somebody out there that's right that's right well i'll get back to you about that that would be fun because uh I, I think there's a lot of instruction in those you know here's how i cut my finger off stories because uh, i think there's a lot to learn yeah it's really true yeah well, I, I sure appreciate you taking time with me today. It's been really fun talking shop and talking about self-story, hearing about uh, some of your background and uh, from the corporate world to the entrepreneurial world to the investing world. It's been really fun. So if you, how are people going to find you? Where do you want them to go? What do you want them to look at? Well, they can find my book, The Perfect Investment on Multifamily on Amazon. Yes, look for Paul Moore's book, The Perfect Investment, on Amazon, and look for him at wellingscapital.com. That's wellingscapital.com. Once again, thank you, Paul, for being with us, and uh, hope you guys can tune in to another Troncast soon. Thanks. See ya. And now for a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. Thanks. And now for a quick break for a word from one of our sponsors. Thanks. Welcome back to the Troncast with Tron Jordheim. Glad to have you here. We're going to have some fun today. I'm talking with Howard Berg, and he is the world's fastest reader, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. And I'll have to tell you, I've never had a Guinness World Book of Records record holder on the Troncast. So, Howard, welcome. Thank you for having me. We're going to have some fun, and we'll help people learn faster as well. Yeah, that that sounds great. I mean, I I like to think I'm a pretty good reader, and some people say I'm a pretty fast reader, and I, I I like to think you know sometimes I have a tiny bit of a photographic memory. I can I can look at something and kind of hold it in my head, but to be the world's fastest reader, you've you've got to have some technique and some method that's pretty unique. So why don't you share that with us? I was saying, uh, I guess you didn't hear me. I was saying, rather than uh, talk about how I read, I will show them how to read faster if you would like. Oh, I'd love that. Yes. Perfect. That's what I was doing. I'm sorry we got cut off. Um, That's all right. Like, after the podcast, get a book, nonfiction preferably, that you've read already or one that's easy for you to understand. I want to make sure the only thing that can confuse you is your speed and not the content of the material. So go to the first chapter of this book where you would definitely understand what you're reading and read for a minute. The way you read, nothing special, just normal reading with a timer. At the end of the minute, take a pencil or a pen 
and put a little mark in the margin where you finished. So we have a measurement. That's how far you read now. Now I'm going to teach you to read faster. Go to the second chapter. Use your hand and go one line at a time. And this is important with your eye following your hand as quickly as you could comprehend. So keep speeding up until you can't comprehend. And that's when you know you went too fast. Slow down just enough that your comprehension returns. And for five minutes, go at this pace, which is the fastest speed you could read with your hand with comprehension. Then go back to the first chapter where you initially began testing yourself. Again, test yourself for one minute, but this time use your hand. And you're going to blow past that tick mark you made by 20 to 40%. It's that easy to get started. Wow. Well, that would give you a little confidence, wouldn't it, if you had that kind of result quickly? Ah, I have lost you again. That. Ah. Are you still there, Howard? Yes, I'm here. Okay, now I've got you back. I don't I'll know. Let that out. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So I, I was... guess there's so many people watching the Mueller report on TV that they're crashing the internet. That could so, be. Uh, That's very yeah, possible. If, very... if you're listening to the podcast, uh, Howard and I are doing this as a distraction from watching the watching <laughs> Mueller testify on uh, TV. So. Yes. Oh boy. And I have no idea how that's going to turn out. And who knows? We'll find out at some point in the future, I guess. So. We'll know by tonight. <laughs> right. Uh, so we were talking about how it's, how it's going to give somebody more confidence to, to use this simple device. To I think that's pretty fascinating and should give somebody some quick results. That's the whole point. I wanted the solution to be easier than the problem. Many times solutions are harder than the problem they're solving. This time it's not the case. It's very, we did a double blind study with 100 people using a Nelson Denny, which is a standardized test, not just for speed, but comprehension. We had an A and B test. And to make sure the second test wasn't simpler, so they just looked like they got smarter, we split it two groups. One did A and B, and one did B and A. And we did a statistical analysis. It showed it did make a difference. Everyone doubled or quadrupled with very, very good comprehension. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, because a lot of people are frustrated because they feel like they read slow. This would be a great way to give them some confidence to help them read more, wouldn't it? I'm not interested in reading as much as learning. I thought that's. I thought that was important to say. I don't yeah. like. I don't like to read. I love to learn. It just turns out that reading is like a screwdriver or a saw. It's a tool for learning. I, enjoy I love it. that. I like the outcome I get when I read. Can I give you a story about something I did to give an example? Oh, of course. About 10, 15 years ago, my wife wanted to go to Hawaii, and I lectured on cruise ships, and they had a cruise winning all over Hawaii. They didn't want speed reading. I said, what do they want? They said, they want Photoshop. They want photography and they want video. And I said, I teach that. I didn't know anything about it, but I learned very fast. Yeah. The next day, I bought 10 books on Photoshop and read them in three hours. I learned Photoshop. <clears throat> the day after, I bought 10 books on photography. I read it in three hours. I learned photography. Next day, I bought 10 books on video. I read it in three hours. I learned video. So I went to the cruise. 
hoping the people. Yeah. Oh, we had another interruption, Howard. Come back to me. Come back to me, Howard. Where did you go? All right, good. So okay. you went. So you went to the cruise, and you were hoping nobody would was, notice. Nobody would know how to use a camera, and nobody knew what Photoshop was. That was my dream audience. Right. Well, the first man walks in. He says, "I'm a professional photographer, 38 years. I came to learn photography." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> second nice. guy comes in. Yeah, right. Second guy says, "I've been doing Photoshop for five years. I heard you're an expert." My wife's in the front row crying, as they said, "If I didn't do it, they'd throw us off the boat. Not in the water, but when we got to shore, and we actually saw someone thrown off the boat. They didn't oh, no. do it. Oh no! So I taught them for a week." At the end of the week, they said, how many years did you study this to learn all this information? <laughs> I could say I learned last week in three hours. That's what I love. Yes, People yes. People don't have time. You don't want to spend four years learning Photoshop or photography. You can learn it in three or four hours. And by the way, it's not just me. I had an 84-year-old read three books in three hours. So it's not just that I'm special, but if you do it the right way, a normal person. An 84-year-old person. You read two or three yeah. books in a couple of hours. So what, what's the secret to getting the retention and getting the learning piece out of it and not just having a lot of words run through your head? Perfect question, because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. The secret to comprehension. I went to graduate school, and the secret to comprehension, it's a word. It's called schema. And rather than define it, I'll demonstrate it, and you'll okay. see exactly how it works. I'm going to read to you a passage with no schema, and it will make no sense. Okay. Then, I'm gonna, then I'll read it again, but with a title, one word, and the word has schema, and instantly, everything will make sense. Are you ready? Yes. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. It doesn't make a lot of sense right now, does it? Not really. Perfect. Now it will. Here's the title. And listen again and watch the difference. Laundry. Laundry. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home. But you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. How confusing is it now? Not at all, because I can see what you're talking about. Perfect. That schema. So when I'm teaching people, what they used to do in spiriting is speed. It didn't work. <clears throat> people would get very fast, but they wouldn't understand and they wouldn't retain very much. I needed to learn six science courses at the same time. I did a four-year psych program in one year of college. I took 36 credits in science with two four-hour labs each term with 18 hours a week of part-time work on top of it. I nice. wasn't interested in speeding. I was interested in learning. So I'm teaching people to go quicker and find the schematic clues that make the text make sense. So even at the higher speed, it makes sense. Now, if you'd like, I could actually tell you what they need to look for. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's, to me, the impression I'm getting is it's kind of like a heat map. If I'm reading fast, the schematic yes. things will pop out or, or turn red in my mind or something like that. So tell me how that happens. I love it. I never heard that before. And it's 
I love. Can I use that? Of course, of course. It's perfect. That's brilliant. You, you really better got use it because I'll forget it by the time we get off the phone. So you better use it. So I'm going to tell you what the heat map is looking for. People often say to me, there's too much to learn. I don't know what to look for. Have you ever had that experience, a really thick book? And oh, what, yeah. if I, what if I said there's only five things you need to look for? Would that help? Uh, I can usually keep track of five fingers, so I'm good. Here are the five things. The first thing you need to find are the new words, the vocabulary. Studies show about 80 to 85% of learning a new skill is learning the words. So what are the words and what do they mean? Now, what words do you look for? They don't look the same. If a writer is doing their job correctly, they're bolded, italic, colored, glossy. They don't look the same. The writer did something to say, mm. look at this, it's different. So that's the first thing. Right. Second, any names and what they did. Who's in your book? What did they do? What are the words? What are the people? What did they do? Third thing, right. any number. Any date, any statistic or formula, how do you use it? Why is it important? It's a very big thing in business is numbers and statistics. The fourth thing, in most nonfiction books, they have headers and subheaders that divide the topics. What are the five most important concepts in each section? The big takeaways, five big mm -hmm. takeaways. Mm -hmm. Last thing. Any questions and answers? Now, in a textbook, it's common to have questions at the end of a chapter. And I tell people, read that first so you know what you're looking for. You need to know yeah, the answers. And in many nonfiction books that don't have questions at the end, they ask questions while they're writing. Any question right. and answer. So think about this. Try to know every word and what it means. Every yeah. person and what they did. The, yeah. the meaning of every number, date, and statistic and how it's used. The five most important ideas in every section and the answers to every question. What else would you need to know? Yeah, I don't know how to apply Nothing. it, I guess. Right. And so that's a different subject. Yeah. Would you like I, to see? I, I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. I, that, that makes a ton of sense. Would you like to see an experiment that demonstrates how this would work? Sure. Take a moment. The whole thing here is you have a purpose. There's something you're looking for. I want you to look around the room and our listeners look around the room at everything colored blue and memorize it because we're going to do a memory quiz right after we do this. Look around the room and picture anything colored blue and memorize it. Just do that for a moment. I'll give okay. you a moment. I'm working on it. Perfect. Now, I want you to close your eyes and I mm -hmm. want you to remember everything you just looked at that was colored red. What happened? I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> Because your brain said, that's not fair. You said blue, right? That's right, exactly. And what happened, blue things got bigger and brighter and louder and more noticeable. And everything else, including red, disappeared. Yeah. When you have a purpose and you're looking for those five things, those things will, like a heat map, pop. Because your brain has that capacity to emphasize things that it's told are relevant Right. And so e even though you're going quicker, what really matters stands out from what doesn't. And now you're actually learning at a higher speed. Does that make sense? Oh, it's a brilliant device. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you again. <laughs> yes. Yes. Can I tell you, I've had kids. I had a school. We had 11 to 15-year-olds. This is some of the things they accomplished just by doing – just by doing what I just described, we had a young man 
graduate University of Texas Arlington at 16 with a 4.0, economics major, master's in math at 19 with a 397 GPA, teaching at, Harvard, at Yale now. He's in his early 20s as a professor. Another one was a C student, normal kid, C student. He was 11 years old. When we got done with him, he, had, he was a college professor at 22. An English professor. <laughs> right. Another one passed the bar at 19 in California. His 16-year-old mm. sister would be the youngest person in history to pass the bar. And his 17-year-old brother, the second youngest. And his 22-year-old brother was an attorney and, were, and a pilot for Southwest Airlines. <laughs> Using what I'm showing you. So, and right. I do this with companies as well. Kids use it to learn things in school and companies use it to stay on top of critical data. Right. Because there's so much data out there. If you start combing through it, you just end up falling asleep. Right. Without, and, without knowing these, you know, five things to look for, for instance. Right now, information you need to know doubles every six months, every six months. And the average person only reads about 200 words a minute. That's why we created all the programs we did to help. I'm just going to let people know if they go to berglearning.com, and we'll continue, berg, B-E-R-G, learning.com, and they put in Tron 10, they'll have access to these programs with a 10% discount. And we do have free lessons. We want to encourage them to take the free lessons. And if they need help, they contact the company. And if they can't help them, I will personally help them. I'm a Rotarian. If I can't get them oh. to learn faster, yep. I give them the money back because you shouldn't pay for something you didn't get. Yeah, Rotarians do some great stuff. Thank I, you. I was in Rotary for a number of years and then got, you know, got kind of busy and moved on to some other things. But Rotary does some amazing stuff. Well, Nick, so, folks, you heard that. Berglearning.com. Tron 10. Berglearning.com. Tron 10. Oh, can I say one thing quickly? I, I'm doing. I'm training the wounded warriors in September as a gift. I, mm. I trained the Green Berets in uh, about April, and they told me that there's one to three suicides a day amongst these wounded warriors because they can't find work and they don't yep. know what to do. So I said I could help them. I'll double, yes. their, I'll double their learning rate. I'm doing a full four-hour training with them for free to teach them how to get the skills they need. So they won't have to kill themselves. And I'm doing this as part of my rotary function because we, my rotary group's thing this year is helping veterans. So I said, let me do right. that. And that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. Well, that's wonderful. And, and what a great way to, you know, see, see the possibilities of the future to learn something new or to, or to figure out how to learn something new. That's, that's gotta be a, great feeling of empowerment for anybody for your 11 year old kids your wounded warriors or or the frustrated executive who's just overwhelmed with reports that make no sense right so that's wonderful work and i've lost you again howard where did where did the internet go i'm here i'm back hello think, hello internet i think what's You're happening back. is my, when my phone my phone goes into um, passive mode. It's 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 blocking. I'm watching it. Oh, I think that's yeah. what's happening. Because every time I, I swipe the screen, we come back. So I figured out what's going on. 
Oh, okay. That's well, that's happening. just like reading, isn't it? Because your mind goes into passive mode when you <laughs> are not picking stuff up and then everything just, you, you read but don't pick up anything. I just wanted to give them the link for Wounded Warriors. If you know a Wounded Warrior and you tell them to go to um, howardwarrior.com, they can sign up, no charge. This is just for the Wounded Warriors. Yeah. Please don't do this if you're not. We have limited space, and we really want to help these young people that gave everything to this country and not have yes. someone else take up one of their seats. Exactly. That's wonderful. Thank Howard you. Warrior, correct? Yes, .com. I set All it right. up, and it's there's no charge. It's a full program, and I'm doing help these young people because they. my dad had PSTD. He was a normal oh, beat, so I know how 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 this affects people and I want to do something to help these people. Yes. And I, and I knew people who came back from Vietnam, very, yeah. very, very different men. So yes. it's, it's yeah. amazing to do help that you can help these folks. That's that what amazing. we're here for. We're here to help yeah. people. Yeah. So how can we use some of the things you're talking about to write better? So what we write, is comprehended better and we're getting our point across because I do a lot of writing and sometimes I feel like I'm just talking and I don't know that people always pick up what I hope they're picking up so can I use these same devices to write better I, I will answer that in two parts because there's two parts to it first yes and how to do it and then I'll talk about how you can use what I told you and then add some additional material that'll help even more if that's okay of course when you're writing or communicating with a prospect or a client you have to use words that have meaning in their schema in their map in their understanding if you use a word like seo i know what it means you know what it means but there are a lot of people who don't so we have to use words that make sense to the people we're working with not just to us and so that's important. Here's a trick you can use when you use a word that might be misinterpreted. Put a comma after the word and then define it. It's called a positive. That's the technical term. So I'll give you an example. Um, if I said an Agilius Phoenicius, comma, a red-winged blackbird, I'm telling you what an Agilius Phoenicius is. So if I'm talking, if I use a word like Agilius Phoenicius, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. If I tell you a red-winged blackbird, you pretty much picture one. Sure. Both words are the same thing, but one word makes sense to everybody, and one word only makes sense to a biologist who studied ornithology, or birds. So when we're writing, we want to make sure if we're using words that may not make sense to the general public, we put a comma after the word and then tell people what that word meant so it means something to them and not just to you. That's important. Wonderful, wonderful. That's a great, that's a, a great help. What, what other things can we do to, to be more understood? Well, I thought I would describe writing in general, how to eliminate writer's block. First, what causes it and how to get rid of it? Is that help? Oh, yes. There are two primary causes for writer's block. Right now, what are you and I doing? Literally, right now, what are we doing? We're having a conversation. Thank you. We're talking in a conversation. That's how we normally express ourselves, by talking. We use words. When we write, we use our hands and we use letters. 
We're either typing letters on a keyboard or writing letters with a pen or a pencil. But we're not using words, we're using letters. It's a very different way of expressing your ideas. Switching from talking to using the hands and writing letters does not happen spontaneously. And so many people will stare at their screen or at the blank pad struggling to get their hand to start moving to do something. Right. But the funny part is once you start, it's easy to keep going. Once the switch is thrown and the information is flowing through your hands and not your mouth, the phone rings, you keep writing. The TV's on, you keep writing. Initially, you couldn't do anything, and now it's effortless. Does that make sense? It does. The second problem is a conflict. There are two parts of our brain. One part, the left brain, predominantly is involved in editing. That's the spell checking, the grammar, the agreement. The right brain is predominantly involved with the story, telling what you want to say. To see if you can relate to this and if our audience can relate to this. You write 10, 15, 20 lines, and then you stop and you look at it. You say, this is terrible, and you hit the delete key. Has that ever happened? Oh, sure. That's where you get blocked. You're trying to write and edit at the same time. It's very, very inefficient. Here's what I do. I have a program. I show them how to create a very good structure with their left brain and then write the story sloppily, a D or a C minus. It's not well written. It's terrible. But it's all the ideas that you want to talk about put down on paper. Don't critique it. Don't spell check it. Don't criticize it. Just keep writing. After you've done, go back after a break and use your left brain and edit it to an A level. Fix the grammar, fix the spelling, fix the words that don't fit. Make it perfect up to an A. If you do it in two steps, first get the ideas out and then perfect them when you're done, you'll complete your writing in a fraction of the time with better outcome. And again, I've created an entire program and just on how that's done yeah, step by step. That makes sense. And, and I know people who like to use voice to text who will, who will yeah. talk their, what they want to communicate in writing as if they're talking to someone and then go back and edit it later. So that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? That idea of get the idea out there, get the general yes. picture painted, and then go back and fix your lines and clean it up. And actually, that is a good way to do a first draft for me. So I, I type quickly. I could type about 125 words a minute. So I could keep up with my flow. Many people, right. they, type, they type slower than they think. Right. And so what's happening is their mind is like three paragraphs ahead of where they are, and they start forgetting what they want to say. Right. And I think that happens so, to a lot of people. So interesting. And that's why recording it eliminates the problem. And then you can transcribe it. And I'll give you a fast way to transcribe it. Um, inside of Google, there's Google Docs. And Google Docs will translate what you say. So record what you want to write. And then put the recorder next to a microphone and play it back while you're in Google Docs. And Google Docs will translate your recording into text with a very high level of accuracy. Well, that's a simple way to do it. I, I use a, a speech-to-text app that's pretty good, but that's a good, that's a good way to do it, too. I like that. I'll try that next Perfect. time. 
please do. And of course, you'll have to clean it up because we don't always speak with full sentences. When we write, it's full sentences. We often use one or two words or in grammatically incorrect phrases that make total sense to the other person, but would look incorrect in writing. And that's what right. we're looking for. Exactly. And that makes it so easy to fix it after it's done. And I always tell people, take a break. Because what you wrote seemed right when you wrote it, and it's going to seem right immediately after you wrote it also. But after you've had a little time, I, I look at it as if a student or someone wrote this, and I have to grade it. Yeah. It's not my writing. It's someone else's writing. I'm being asked to edit someone else, not me. So I'm not looking at it as a personal thing. I'm looking at it as a third party. And now I can be more objective about my critiquing of what I wrote because it's not my writing. I'm just editing what someone wrote. That's a great approach. And it That's gives you more good. objectivity. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Well, we well, we've covered some really great stuff. So how to increase your speed, how to really increase your retention, comprehension, how to communicate better when you're the one on the page for other people to read. Um, that's a, a lot of good stuff to cover. And I, and I hope people listening will go back and listen to this again and make some notes and put some of this into practice because we all are looking at information all the time. And a lot of times it just, you know, it sounds like the parents in Charlie Brown, right? Blah, 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 blah. Right, right. And, and, I, and I think if we took a different approach to it, we could catch the nuggets better. So, How about remembering them? Would you like to see how to have a brilliant memory? I would love to have a brilliant memory. Tell me about that, Howard. People often say to me, you read fast. What do you remember? I remember a lot. I'm going to teach you one of many strategies. And when we're doing it, it's something, a little bonus. You only remember 10% of what you read, but 90% of what you say and do. So I'm going to have you say and do with me and our okay. audience. Because this isn't just an exercise. This is a tool. And after I'm done teaching you this tool i'll show you how to use it every day in business and how your kids can use it in school is that fair oh yes here are 10 things i want you to remember you won't be able to because you don't know how and then i'll show you how and you'll be able to are you ready yep you want to remember pole shoes tricycle car glove gun dice skate cat and bowling pins do you know all 10 things backwards and forwards no way. You lost me at about five or six. And that's the norm. Now I'm going to show you not only how to remember them, but you will effortlessly remember these forwards and backwards with no effort. Are you ready? Yes. The Greeks discovered this technique thousands of years ago. If you have a list that you know and you link it to the list you're trying to learn, it takes less time. Tron, I'm going to bet... You can count to 10. Am I, am I on safe ground here? <laughs> you, you, can, you can proceed with confidence. And I'm hoping our audience is in the same state of learning. They can count to 10. I'm sure of it. We're going to use those 10 numbers to learn 10 things super fast. Are you ready? Yep. The number one, it looks like a pole, a big, tall one, like a lamp pole. Is that correct? Yep. What's one? Pole. You just did it. Perfect. Two. How many shoes are you wearing? Uh, two. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Three. 
How many wheels are on a tricycle? Three. Three is tricycle. What's three? Tricycle. Two. Uh, shoes. One. Pull. See how easy this is? We're going to keep going. It's going to be super easy. Four. A car. How many tires are on a car? Four. What's four? Car. Two. Shoes. One. Pull. Three. Tricycle. Jumping all over the map. It makes no difference because your brain can do this. Five. How many fingers are in a glove? Five. So five is glove. What's five? Five is glove. Five is glove. What was three? Tricycle. One. Pull. He went backwards. Six. They love guns in Texas. The old cowboy gun, six gun. What's six? It's a gun. What was four? Four is a car. Two. Two is shoes. Perfect. Seven is dice. It's a lucky number on the first throw. Seven is dice. What's seven? Dice. What was five? Five is... Uh... Picture your hand. Oh, yeah, the glove. Sure. That's how I do this. It'll, it'll lock in. Yep. Three. Is a tricycle. And one. Is the pole. Yeah. Yeah. Next, next thing we want to look at is eight skate. Rhymes work. What's eight? Uh, eight skate. What was six? What did they love in Texas? Six is the gun. Four. Four is the car. Two. Two is shoes. Went backwards. Nine. How many lives does a cat have? Nine. What's nine? Is the cat. What was seven lucky in? Seven's dice. Five? Uh, five was the glove. See, now you're remembering it. Three. Mm -hmm. Three's the tricycle. One. It's the pole. Last one, ten. How many bowling pins are in an alley? I'm guessing ten. You got it. Good guess. <laughs> so what's ten? <laughs> yes. Bowling pins. Perfect. Let's do the ten numbers together, and I'll show you how to use them. One. A pole. Two. Shoes. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. Glove. Six. The gun. Seven. Dice. Eight. Skate. Nine. Cat. And ten. Bowling pins. You just memorized what you couldn't do. Now, this is a tool, and I'm going to show you how to use it. Would that help? Yes. One of the hardest things to remember are numbers because they don't have meaning to most people. Imagine you're in a hotel and the room number is 314. A lot of us travel in business and we, get, we forget the room because we're in so many hotels. They all look the same after a while. Yeah. I turn the number into a picture. Three is a tricycle. One is a pole. Four is a car. Imagine oh. a tricycle hits a pole on a car. Can you picture that? A tricycle? Yes. Okay. Tricycle, what number? Uh, three. It's a pole. One. On a car. That's four. That's your hotel room. It's also the value of pi and geometry for measuring yep. circles. So you can use this in science and math in school and for history yep. dates and business. Due dates, percentages, room numbers, phone numbers, product SKU numbers. Now you know how to memorize numbers. That's great. That's great.
So I, I, I taught myself a different device just because I make a lot of phone calls. So if my room was 314, I'd know that's the area code for St. Louis. So, you know, silly things come to you, right? right? Also, silly things come to you. Let's say it was 214. It's, Valentine, it's, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's the area code for Austin, Texas. It's actually, it's actually Dallas. I, I, Dallas, I, sorry, sorry. Dallas. Okay. I live here, that's why I know. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. The <laughs> only reason I can say you're wrong is because I'm here. <laughs> and it's my phone number, so I know. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So that's very, now there's another big skill. And I, I want to talk in terms of business. When people tell you something and you've got people tell you something you needed to do, by the time you got home, how often did you forget what they told you and it didn't work? Oh, it happens. What if they not only told you what you needed to know, but how to remember it when you needed to use it? Wouldn't that help? That would be all right. Why isn't anyone doing that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Because they, they, they forgot to remind themselves to do it or something. Because no one tells them to do it. And it's something they should all be doing in business. Don't just tell people what they need to know. Tell them how to know it when they need to know it. That makes sense. That makes sense. And there's another skill, if it's okay, which is emotional intelligence, which plays a critical role in success. May I tell you a little about it? Of course. I'm going to pretend I'm teaching you to drive. And I tell you, oh, Tron, you're great. You're ready to pass the road test. Go make your appointment. I say, great. You go make your appointment. And I say, how'd you do? You say, I failed. How could you fail? You know how to drive. I got nervous. It was a test. Does anyone, can you relate to that? I got nervous. Oh, of course. That's of course. emotional intelligence. The ability mm -hmm. to stay focused. That's why I trained the Green Berets. I said, you guys know everything you need to know to survive under fire. But if you get scared or nervous, you won't remember it and you'll get killed. I'm going to show right. you how to stay in the right state so you can use what you learn, not get killed. And that's what I did with the Royal Thai Army in Bangkok. So Ooh. imagine now, instead of just teaching you how to drive, I also taught you how to stay calm during the test. How many more students would finish the test successfully? Oh, triple the number. Would you like to see how to change an emotional state so you'd see how it could be done? I would love to. I'm going to show you and our audience listening how to create energy, how to wake up. So if you're in a business meeting, you start getting tired and you can't get up to have coffee, wake up. If you're in a classroom and it's boring, how to wake up or a test for your kids, like a SAT. Or you're driving in traffic and you're getting tired, how to wake up. Would that be helpful? It sure would be. I'd like everyone to stand. Tron, you may not want to stand because you have a microphone, but everyone listening, please stand. And I'm going to show you how to create the state of being awake. I'm going to ask a quick question. Tron, the left side of the brain, do you know which part of the body the left side of the brain controls? Uh, the right side. That's right. And then the right side controls? The left side. We're going to do an exercise that uses both sides of your brain. I want you to take your hand on the left side and touch your right shoulder. And then yeah. take your hand on the right side and touch your left shoulder. And alternate like the Macarena. Left to yeah. right, right to left, left to right. Perfect. Mm -hmm. You're using both sides of your brain alternating. Now we're going to do both at the same time. If you're standing, take your left hand, touch your right knee, and then your right hand and touch your left knee and alternate. You'll see you have to think a little. 
Because yeah. one part of your brain is with your knee and one part's working with the hand. Yeah. Now, raise your hand up in the air, your right hand, and squeeze your thumb, and say this like you truly feel it. I feel great. Yes, say it. I feel great. I feel great. Yes. I feel great. Yes. And pull your hand down to your side as you say it. I feel great. Yes, as you say yes. I feel great. Pull your hand down. I Perfect. feel great. Yes. We're going to do three great. sets. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. We're going to do three sets of these. When you're done, I'm going to show you how to use this in business and school. Are you ready? Yep. Go at my pace. First, the shoulder taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now the knee taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? Better. I feel great. <laughs> oh, I feel great. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're doing it again a little yes. faster. And you do feel a little better because you're moving. We're going to go a little faster this time. Ready? Shoulder taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Knee taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? I feel great. Yes. Perfect. Last one. As fast as you can possibly go. Watch your knees. Don't bang anything. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now do your knees. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? Great. I feel great. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Sit down, smile, and feel great. You know what happens when you do this three times? You reset nothing. your energy. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely you have nothing. Moved. Would you like would you like to know how to make it actually work? Sure. Remember Pavlov, he rang a bell, he fed a dog, he rang a bell, he fed a dog. Eventually, the dog drooled when he rang the yep. bell. Yep. You don't want to ring a bell and drool, but every time you do this, you feel a little more awake because you moved. And yeah. when you felt more awake, you squeezed your thumb and said, I feel great, yes. Studies yep. show habits take 90 days, not 30 days to form. So if you do this every day, slow, medium, fast for 90 days, now you're in an important meeting. You don't want to tap your shoulders, you'll look strange. But you squeeze your thumb and say, I feel great, yes, to yourself. And you'll feel the way you did every time you did this drill, more awake. And you, yeah. can, and you can wake up during a test, wake up during a meeting, wake up in traffic. The kids can wake up when they're taking a standardized test. And in the same way, we can teach people to relax and trigger it when they need it. So they're not nervous. We can teach them to focus and concentrate. And that's what I'm doing in my programs at birdlearning.com. That's wonderful. Well, everybody, you need to go to birdlearning.com because you are going to learn a lot. Howard, you have some, some wonderful methods and techniques to oh, just say, we should all Tron be. Cast 10. Remember to use Troncast. 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 Troncast 10. So they get 10% off. And there are free lessons. So before you even buy, you'll be able to test it and see how it works. Yep. And how do you remember 10? It's the bowling pin. So there you go. Yes. Also, <laughs> when we're doing numbers, I make the 10 to 0 because we need 0 to 9. So I make the 0 as the 10 bowling pin. But you can use it as a 10 also. All right. Excellent. Excellent. That is wonderful. 
Howard, thank you so much for spending time with me today. It's been a blast. I've learned a lot, and uh, I have some studying to do to, to master some of these techniques, and, and I hope our listeners will do the same. I'm going to set been- you up online with the full program, Tron, as a gift, and you will read 100% faster with outstanding comprehension. You'll eliminate writer's block. You'll know how to remember anything you need to know and do math in your head super fast. That's fantastic. I can't wait to do it and, uh, and to share my successes with everybody so they'll go take advantage of your program as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Howard. It's been great, and I look forward to mastering some of these techniques. You'll love it. It's easy and it's fun. That's also important. I want it to be fun because no one wants to have to work. They want to do something that makes them feel good. Well, and nothing leads to learning better than a few giggles, right? So I'm with you on that. Thanks so much. I'm with you on that. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Troncast. And as soon as you're done, head over to berglearning.com. Thanks again, Howard. B-E-R-G. B-E-R-G, not B-U-R-G. B-E-R-G. You got it. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Hope to talk to you again soon. I'd like that. We can talk about how to be a genius next time. I, we could all use that, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Thanks, Howard. Take care. Take care. I was saying, uh, I guess you didn't hear me. I was saying, rather than uh, talk about how I read, I will show them how to read faster if you would like. Oh, I'd love that. Yes. Perfect. That's what I was doing. I'm sorry we got cut off. Um, That's all right. After the podcast, get a book, nonfiction preferably, that you've read already or one that's easy for you to understand. I want to make sure the only thing that can confuse you is your speed and not the content of the material. So go to the first chapter of this book where you would definitely understand what you're reading and read for a minute the way you read. Nothing special, just normal reading with a timer. The end of the minute, take a pencil or a pen and put a little mark in the margin where you finish. So we have a measurement. That's how far you read now. Now I'm going to teach you to read faster. Go to the second chapter. Use your hand and go one line at a time. And this is important with your eye following your hand as quickly as you could comprehend. So keep speeding up until you can't comprehend. And that's when you know you went too fast. Slow down just enough that your comprehension returns. And for five minutes, go at this pace, which is the fastest speed you could read with your hand with comprehension. Then go back to the first chapter where you initially began testing yourself. Again, test yourself for one minute, but this time use your hand and you're going to blow past that tick mark you made by 20 to 40%. It's that easy to get started. Wow. Well, that would give you a little confidence, wouldn't it, if you had that kind of result quickly? Right. Uh, so we were talking about how it's, how it's going to give somebody more confidence to, to use this simple device to speak. I think that's pretty fascinating and should give somebody some quick results. That's the whole point. I wanted the solution to be easier than the problem. Many times solutions are harder than the problem they're solving. This time it's not the case. It's very, we did a double blind study with 100 people using a Nelson Denny, which is a standardized test, not just for speed, but comprehension. We had an A and B test. 
And to make sure the second test wasn't simpler, so they just looked like they got smarter, we split it two groups. One did A and B and one did B and A. And we did a statistical analysis that showed it did make a difference. Everyone doubled or quadrupled with very, very good comprehension. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, because a lot of people are frustrated because they feel like they read slow. This would be a great way to give them some confidence to help them read more, wouldn't it? I'm not interested in reading as much as learning. I thought that's I thought that was important to say. I don't yeah. like I don't like to read. I love to learn. It just turns out that reading is like a screwdriver or a saw. It's a tool for learning. I enjoy I love that. I like the outcome I get when I read. Can I give you a story about something I did to give an example? Oh, of course. About 10, 15 years ago, my wife wanted to go to Hawaii and I lectured on cruise ships and they had a cruise winning all over Hawaii. They didn't want speed reading. I said, what do they want? They said, they want Photoshop, they want photography, and they want video. And I said, I teach that. I didn't know anything about it, but I learned very fast. The next day, I bought 10 books on Photoshop and read them in three hours. I learned Photoshop. The day after, I bought 10 books on photography. I read it in three hours. I learned photography. Next day, I bought 10 books on video. I read it in three hours. I learned video. So I went to the cruise, hoping the people. Yeah. Oh, we had another interruption, Howard. Come back to me. Come back to me, Howard. Where did you go? All right, good. So okay. you went. So you went to the cruise, and you were hoping nobody would was, notice. Nobody would know how to use a camera, and nobody knew what Photoshop was. That was my dream audience. Right. Well, the fir- first man walks in. He says, "I'm a professional photographer. 38 years. I came to learn photography." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> second nice. guy comes in. Yeah, right. Second guy says, "I've been doing Photoshop for five years. I heard you're an expert." My wife's in the front row crying, as they said, "If I didn't do it, they'd throw us off the boat. Not in the water, but when we got to shore, and we actually saw someone thrown off the boat. They didn't oh, no. do it. Oh no! So I taught them for a week." At the end of the week, they said, how many years did you study this to learn all this information? <laughs> I could say I learned last week in three hours. That's what I love. Yes, yes. People don't have time. You don't want to spend four years learning Photoshop or photography. You can learn it in three or four hours. And by the way, it's not just me. I had an 84-year-old read three books in three hours. So it's not just that I'm special, but if you do it the right way, a normal person. An 84-year-old person. You read two or three yeah. books in a couple of hours. So what, what's the secret to getting the retention and getting the learning piece out of it and not just having a lot of words run through your head? Perfect question, because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. The secret to comprehension. I went to graduate school, and the secret to comprehension, it's a word. It's called schema. And rather than define it, I'll demonstrate it, and you'll okay. see exactly how it works. I'm going to read to you a passage with no schema, and it will make no sense. Okay. Then, I'm gonna, then I'll read it again, but with a title, one word, and the word has schema, and instantly, everything will make sense. Are you ready? Yes. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home, but you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. It doesn't make a lot of sense right now, does it? Not really. 
Perfect. Now it will. Here's the title. And listen again and watch the difference. Laundry. Laundry. This is an easy thing to do. If possible, you could do it at home. But you could always go someplace else if it's necessary. Beware of overdoing it. This is a major mistake. It may cost you quite a bit of money. How confusing is it now? Not at all, because I can see what you're talking about. Perfect. That schema. So when I'm teaching people, what they used to do in spiriting is speed. It didn't work. <clears throat> people would get very fast, but they wouldn't understand and they wouldn't retain very much. I needed to learn six science courses at the same time. I did a four-year psych program in one year of college. I took 36 credits in science with two four-hour labs each term with 18 hours a week of part-time work on top of it. I wasn't interested in speeding. I was interested in learning. So I'm teaching people to go quicker and find the schematic clues that make the text make sense. So even at the higher speed, it makes sense. Now, if you'd like, I could actually tell you what they need to look for. Yeah, yeah, because it's is it, to me, the impression I'm getting is it's kind of like a heat map. If I'm reading fast, the schematic yes. things will pop out or or turn red in my mind or something like that. So it's, tell me how that happens. I love it. I never heard that before. And it's, I, I love, can I use that? Of course, of course. It's perfect. That's brilliant. You, you really better use it because I'll forget it by the time we get off the phone. So you better use it. So I'm going to tell you what the heat map is looking for. People often say to me, there's too much to learn. I don't know what to look for. Have you ever had that experience, a really thick book? And you oh, weren't yeah. quite sure. What if I said there's only five things you need to look for? Would that help? Uh, I can usually keep track of five fingers, so I'm good. Here are the five things. The first thing you need to find are the new words, the vocabulary. Studies show about 80 to 85% of learning a new skill is learning the words. So what are the words and what do they mean? Now, what words do you look for? They don't look the same. If a writer is doing their job correctly, they're bolded, italic, colored, they don't look the same. The writer did something to say, look at this, it's different. So that's the first thing. Right. Second, any names and what they did. Who's in your book? What did they do? What are the words? What are the people? What did they do? Third thing, right. any number, any date, any statistic or formula. How do you use it? Why is it important? It's a very big thing in business is numbers and statistics. The fourth thing, in most nonfiction books, they have headers and subheaders that divide the topics. What are the five most important concepts in each section? The big takeaways, five big mm -hmm. takeaways. Mm -hmm. Last thing, any questions and answers? Now, in a textbook, it's common to have questions at the end of a chapter. And I tell people, read that first so you know what you're looking for. You need to know ah, the answers. And in many nonfiction books that don't have questions at the end, they ask questions while they're writing. Any question right. and answer. So think about this. Try if you know every word and what it means. Every yeah. person and what they did. The, yeah. the meaning of every number, date, and statistic and how it's used. The five most important ideas in every section and the answers to every question. What else would you need to know? Yeah, I don't know. How to apply Nothing. it, I guess, right? And so that's a different subject. Yeah. Would you like this? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's all right. I, that, that makes a ton of sense. Would you like to see an experiment that demonstrates how this would work? Sure. Take a moment. The whole thing here is you have a purpose. There's something you're looking for. I want you to look around the room, and our listeners, look around the room at everything colored blue and memorize it. 
because we're going to do a memory quiz right after we do this. Look around the room and picture anything colored blue and memorize it. Just do that for a moment. I'll give okay. you a moment. I'm working on it. Perfect. Now, I want you to close your eyes and I mm-hmm. want you to remember everything you just looked at that was colored red. What happened? I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> because your brain said, that's not fair. You said blue, right? That's right. Exactly. And what happened? Blue things got bigger and brighter and louder and more noticeable and everything else, including red, disappeared. Yeah. When you have a purpose and you're looking for those five things, those things will, like a heat map, pop because your brain has that capacity to emphasize things that it's told are relevant. And so even though you're going quicker, what really matters stands out from what doesn't. And now you're actually learning at a higher speed. Does that make sense? Oh, it's a brilliant device. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you again. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Can I tell you, I've had kids. I had a school. We had 11 to 15-year-olds. This is some of the things they accomplished just by doing just by doing what I just described. We had a young man graduate University of Texas Arlington at 16 with a 4.0, economics major, master's in math at 19 with a 397 GPA, teaching at, Harvard, at Yale now. He's in his early 20s as a professor. Another one was a C student, normal kid, C student, he was 11 years old. When we got done with him, he, had, he was a college professor at 22, an English professor. <laughs> right. Another one passed the bar at 19 in California. The 16-year-old sister would be the youngest person in history to pass the bar, and his 17-year-old brother, the second youngest, and his 22-year-old brother was an attorney and, worked, and a pilot for Southwest Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> using what I'm showing you. So, and right. I do this with companies as well. Kids use it to learn things in school and companies use it to stay on top of critical data. Right. Because there's so much data out there. If you start combing through it, you just end up falling asleep. Right. Without, and, without knowing these, you know, five things to look for, for instance. Right now, information you need to know doubles every six months, every six months. And the average person only reads about 200 words a minute. That's why we created all the programs we did to help. I'm just going to let people know if they go to berglearning.com, and we'll continue, berg, B-E-R-G, learning.com, and they put in Tron 10, they'll have access to these programs with a 10% discount. And we do have free lessons. We want to encourage them to take the free lessons. And if they need help, they contact the company. And if they can't help them, I will personally help them. I'm a Rotarian. If I can't get them oh. to learn faster, yep. I give them the money back because you shouldn't pay for something you didn't get. Yeah, Rotarians do some great stuff. Thank I, you. I was in Rotary for a number of years and then got, you know, got kind of busy and moved on to some other things. But Rotary does some amazing stuff. Well, Nick- so, folks, you heard that. BergLearning.com. Tron 10. BergLearning.com. Tron 10. Can I say one thing quickly? I'm doing, I'm training the wounded warriors in September as a gift. I I trained the green berets in uh, about April. And they told me that there's one to three suicides a day amongst these wounded warriors because they can't find work and they don't know what to do. So I said, I could help them. I'll 
I'll double their learning rate. I'm doing a full four-hour training with them for free to teach them how to get the skills they need so they won't have to kill themselves. And I'm doing this as part of my rotary function because we my rotary group's thing this year is helping veterans. So I said, let me do right. that. And that's, that's exactly what I'm doing. Well, that's wonderful. And, and what a great way to you know, see, see the possibilities of the future to learn something new or to, or to figure out how to learn something new. That's, that's got to be a great feeling of empowerment for anybody, for your 11-year-old kids, your wounded warriors, or, or the frustrated executive who's just overwhelmed with reports that make no sense, right? So that's wonderful work. And I've lost you again, Howard. Where did where did the internet go? I'm here. I'm back. Hello, think, hello, internet. I think what's You're happening back. is my, when my phone my phone goes into um, passive mode, it's 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 blocking. I'm watching it. Oh, I think that's yeah. what's happening because every time I I swipe the screen, we come back. So I figured out what's going on. Oh, okay. That's what's well. That's happening. just like reading, isn't it? Because your mind goes into passive mode when you <laughs> are not picking stuff up, and then everything just you you read but don't pick up anything. I just wanted to give them the link for Wounded Warriors. If you know a Wounded Warrior, and you tell them to go to um, HowardWarrior.com, they can sign up no charge. This is just for the Wounded Warriors. Yeah. Please don't do this if you're not. We have limited space, and we really want to help these young people that gave everything to this country and not have yes. someone else take up one of their seats. Exactly. That's wonderful. Thank Howard you. Warrior, correct? Yes, .com. I set All it right. up, and it's there's no charge. It's a full program, and I'm doing help these young people because they. my dad had PSTD. He was a normally oh, beat, so I know how 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 this affects people and I want to do something to help these people. Yes. And I, and I knew people who came back from Vietnam, very, yeah. very, very different men. So yes. it's, it's yeah. amazing to do help that you can help these folks. That's that what amazing. we're here for. We're here to help yeah. people. Yeah. So how can we use some of the things you're talking about to write better? So what we write, is comprehended better and we're getting our point across because I do a lot of writing and sometimes I feel like I'm just talking and I don't know that people always pick up what I hope they're picking up. So can I use these same devices to write better? I, I will answer that in two parts because there's two parts to it. First, yes, and how to do it. And then I'll talk about how you can use what I told you and then add some additional material that will help even more if that's okay. Of course. When you're writing or communicating with a prospect or a client, you have to use words that have meaning in their schema, in their map, in their understanding. If you use a word like SEO, I know what it means. You know what it means, but there are a lot of people who don't. So we have to use words that make sense to the people we're working with, not just to us. And so that's important. Here's a trick you can use when you use a word that might be misinterpreted. Put a comma after the word and then define it. It's called a positive. That's the technical term. So I'll give you an example. Um, if I said an Agilius Phoenicius, comma, a red-winged blackbird, I'm telling you what an Agilius Phoenicius is. 
So if I'm talking, if I use a word like a Julius Phoenicius, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. If I tell you a red-winged blackbird, you pretty much picture one. Sure. Both words are the same thing, but one word makes sense to everybody, and one word only makes sense to a biologist who studied ornithology of birds. So when we're writing, we want to make sure if we're using words that may not make sense to the general public, we put a comma after the word and then tell people what that word meant so it means something to them and not just to you. That's important. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's a great, that's a, a great help. What, what other things can we do to, to be more understood? Well, I thought I would describe writing in general, how to eliminate writer's block. First, what causes it and how to get rid of it? Is that help? Oh, yes. There are two primary causes for writer's block. Right now, what are you and I doing? Literally, right now, what are we doing? We're having a conversation. Thank you. We're talking in a conversation. That's how we normally express ourselves, by talking. We use words. When we write, we use our hands and we use letters. We're either typing letters on a keyboard or writing letters with a pen or a pencil. But we're not using words, we're using letters. It's a very different way of expressing your ideas. Switching from talking to using the hands and writing letters does not happen spontaneously. And so many people will stare at their screen or at the blank pad struggling to get their hand to start moving to do something. Right. But the funny part is once you start, it's easy to keep going. Once the switch is thrown and the information is flowing through your hands and not your mouth, the phone rings, you keep writing. The TV's on, you keep writing. Initially, you couldn't do anything, and now it's effortless. Does that make sense? It does. The second problem is a conflict. There are two parts of our brain. One part, the left brain, predominantly is involved in editing. That's the spell checking, the grammar, the agreement. The right brain is predominantly involved with the story, telling what you want to say. To see if you can relate to this and if our audience can relate to this. You write 10, 15, 20 lines, and then you stop and you look at it. You say, this is terrible, and you hit the delete key. Has that ever happened? Oh, sure. That's where you get blocked. You're trying to write and edit at the same time. It's very, very inefficient. Here's what I do. I have a program. I show them how to create a very good structure with their left brain and then write the story sloppily, a D or a C minus. It's not well written. It's terrible, but it's all the ideas that you want to talk about put down on paper. Don't critique it. Don't spell check it. Don't criticize it. Just keep writing. After you've done, go back after a break and use your left brain and edit it to an A level. Fix the grammar, fix the spelling, fix the words that don't fit. Make it perfect up to an A. If you do it in two steps, first get the ideas out and then perfect them when you're done, you'll complete your writing in a fraction of the time with better outcome. And again, I've created an entire program just on how that's done yeah. step by step. That makes sense. And, and I know people who like to use voice to text who will... Who will yeah talk their, what they want to communicate in writing as if they're talking to someone and then go back and edit it later. So that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? That idea of 
get the idea out there, get the general yes. picture painted, and then go back and fix your lines and clean it up. And actually, that is a good way to do a first draft for me. So I, I type quickly. I could type about 125 words a minute. So I could keep up with my flow. Many people, right. they, type, they type slower than they think. Right. And so what's happening is their mind is like three paragraphs ahead of where they are, and they start forgetting what they want to say. Right. And I think that happens so, to a lot of people. So interesting. And that's why recording it eliminates the problem. And then you can transcribe it. And I'll give you a fast way to transcribe it. Um, inside of Google, there's Google Docs. And Google Docs will translate what you say. So record what you want to write and then put the recorder next to a microphone and play it back while you're in Google Docs. And Google Docs will translate your recording into text with a very high level of accuracy. Well, that's a simple way to do it. I, I use a, a speech-to-text app that's pretty good, but that's a good, that's a good way to do it, too. I like that. I'll try that next Perfect. time. Please do. And, of course, you'll have to clean it up because we don't always speak with full sentences. When we write, it's full sentences. We often use one or two words or in grammatically incorrect phrases that make total sense to the other person but would look incorrect in writing. And that's what right. we're looking for. Exactly. And that makes it so easy to fix it after it's done. And I always tell people, take a break. Because what you wrote seemed right when you wrote it, and it's going to seem right immediately after you wrote it also. But after you've had a little time, I, I look at it as if a student or someone wrote this, and I have to grade it. Yeah. It's not my writing. It's someone else's writing. I'm being asked to edit someone else, not me. So I'm not looking at it as a personal thing. I'm looking at it as a third party. And now I can be more objective about my critiquing of what I wrote because it's not my writing. I'm just editing what someone wrote. That's a great approach. And it That's gives you more good. objectivity. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Well, we, well we've covered some really great stuff. So how to increase your speed, how to really increase your retention, comprehension, how to communicate better when you're the one on the page for other people to read. Um, that's a, a lot of good stuff to cover. And I, and I hope people listening will go back and listen to this again and make some notes and put some of this into practice because we all are looking at information all the time. And a lot of times it just, you know, it sounds like the parents in Charlie Brown, right? Blah, 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 blah. Right, right. And, and, I, and I think if we took a different approach to it, we could catch the nuggets better, so. How about remembering them? Would you like to see how to have a brilliant memory? I would love to have a brilliant memory. Tell me about that, Howard. People often say to me, you read fast. What do you remember? I remember a lot. I'm going to teach you one of many strategies. And when we're doing it, it's something, a little bonus. You only remember 10% of what you read, but 90% of what you say and do. So I'm going to have you say and do with me and our okay. audience. This isn't just an exercise. This is a tool. And after I'm done teaching you this tool i'll show you how to use it every day in business and how your kids can use it in school is that fair oh yes here are 10 things i want you to remember you won't be able to because you don't know how and then i'll show you how and you'll be able to are you ready yep you want to remember pole shoes tricycle car glove gun dice skate cat and bowling pins 
Do you know all 10 things backwards and forwards? No way. You lost me at about five or six. And that's the norm. Now I'm going to show you not only how to remember them, but you will effortlessly remember these forwards and backwards with no effort. Are you ready? Yes. The Greeks discovered this technique thousands of years ago. If you have a list that you know and you link it to the list you're trying to learn, it takes less time. Tron, I'm going to bet you can count to 10. Am I, am I on safe ground here? <laughs> you, you, can, you can proceed with confidence. And I'm hoping our audience is in the same state of learning. They can count to 10. I'm sure of it. We're going to use those 10 numbers to learn 10 things super fast. Are you ready? Yep. The number one. It looks like a pole, a big, tall one, like a lamp pole. Is that correct? Yeah. What's one? Pole. You just did it. Perfect. Two. How many shoes are you wearing? Uh, two. What's two? Shoes. What's one? Pole. Three. How many wheels are on a tricycle? Three. Three is tricycle. What's three? Tricycle. Two. Uh, shoes. One. Pull. See how easy this is? We're going to keep going. It's going to be super easy. Four. A car. How many tires are on a car? Four. What's four? Car. Two. Shoes. One. Pull. Three. Tricycle. Jumping all over the map. It makes no difference because your brain can do this. Five. How many fingers are in a glove? Five. So five is glove. What's five? Five is glove. Five is glove. What was three? Tricycle. One. Pole. He went backwards. Six. They love guns in Texas. The old cowboy gun, six gun. What's six? It's a gun. What was four? Four is a car. Two. Two is shoes. Perfect. Seven is dice. It's a lucky number on the first throw. Seven is dice. What's seven? Dice. What was five? Five is... Uh... Picture your hand. Oh, yeah, the glove, sure. That's how I do this. It'll, it'll lock in. Yep. Three. Is a tricycle. And one. Is the pole. Yeah. yeah. Next, next thing we want to look at is eight skate. Rhymes work. What's eight? Uh, eight skate. What was six? What did they love in Texas? Six is the gun. Four. Four is the car. Two. Two is shoes. Went backwards. Nine. How many lives does the cat have? Nine. What's nine? Is the cat. What was seven lucky in? Seven's dice. Five? Uh, five was the glove. See, now you're remembering it. Three. Mm -hmm. Three's the tricycle. One. It's the pole. Last one, ten. How many bowling pins are in an alley? I'm guessing ten. You got it. Good <laughs> guess. So what's ten? <laughs> yes. Bowling pins. Perfect. Let's do the ten numbers together, and I'll show you how to use them. One. A pole. Two. Shoes. Three. Tricycle. Four. Car. Five. Glove. Six. The gun. Seven. Dice. Eight. Skate. Nine. Cat.
and 10 bowling pins. You just memorized what you couldn't do. Now, this is a tool, and I'm going to show you how to use it. Would that help? Yes. One of the hardest things to remember are numbers because they don't have meaning to most people. Imagine you're in a hotel and the room number is 314. A lot of us travel in business and we, get, we forget the room because we're in so many hotels. They all look the same after a while. Yeah. I turn the number into a picture. Three is a tricycle. One is a pole. Four is a car. Imagine oh. a tricycle hits a pole on a car. Can you picture that? A tricycle? Yes. Okay. Tricycle, what number? Uh, three. It's a pole. One. On a car. That's four. That's your hotel room. It's also the value of pi and geometry for measuring yep. circles. So you can use this in science and math in school and for history yeah. dates and business. Due dates, percentages, room numbers, phone numbers, product SKU numbers. Now you know how to memorize numbers. That's great. That's great. So I, I, I taught myself a different device just because I make a lot of phone calls. So if my room was 314, I'd know that's the area code for St. Louis. So, you know, silly things come to you, right? right? Also, silly things come to you. Let's say it was 214. It's, Valentine, it's, it's Valentine's Day. Uh, and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's the area code for Austin, Texas. It's actually, it's actually Dallas. I, I, Dallas, I, sorry, sorry. Dallas. Okay. I live here, that's why I know. Otherwise, I wouldn't know. The <laughs> only reason I can say you're wrong is because I'm here. <laughs> and it's my phone number, so I know. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So that's very, now there's another big skill. And I, I want to talk in terms of business. When people tell you something and you've got people tell you something you needed to do, by the time you got home, how often did you forget what they told you and it didn't work? Oh, it happens. What if they not only told you what you needed to know, but how to remember it when you needed to use it? Wouldn't that help? That would be all right. Why isn't anyone doing that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Because they, they, they forgot to remind themselves to do it or something. Because no one tells them to do it. And it's something they should all be doing in business. Don't just tell people what they need to know. Tell them how to know it when they need to know it. That makes sense. That makes sense. And there's another skill, if it's okay, which is emotional intelligence, which plays a critical role in success. May I tell you a little about it? Of course. I'm going to pretend I'm teaching you to drive. And I tell you, oh, Tron, you're great. You're ready to pass the road test. Go make your appointment. I say, great. You go make your appointment. And I say, how'd you do? You say, I failed. How could you fail? You know how to drive. I got nervous. It was a test. Does anyone, can you relate to that? I got nervous. Oh, of course. That's of course. emotional intelligence. The ability mm -hmm. to stay focused. That's why I trained the Green Berets. I said, you guys know everything you need to know to survive under fire. But if you get scared or nervous, you won't remember it and you'll get killed. I'm going to show right. you how to stay in the right state so you can use what you learn, not get killed. And that's what I did with the Royal Thai Army in Bangkok. So Ooh. imagine now, instead of just teaching you how to drive, I also taught you how to stay calm during the test. How many more students would finish the test successfully? Oh, triple the number. Would you like to see how to change an emotional state so you'd see how it could be done? I would love to. I'm going to show you and our audience listening how to create energy, how to wake up. 
So if you're in a business meeting, you start getting tired and you can't get up to have coffee, wake up. If you're in a classroom and it's boring how to wake up or a test for your kids, like a SAT, or you're driving in traffic and you're getting tired, how to wake up, would that be helpful? It sure would be. I'd like everyone to stand. Tron, you may not want to stand because you have a microphone, but everyone listening, please stand. And I'm going to show you how to create the state of being awake. I'm going to ask a quick question. Tron, the left side of the brain, do you know which part of the body the left side of the brain controls? Uh, the right side. That's right. And then the right side controls? The left side. We're going to do an exercise that uses both sides of your brain. I want you to take your hand on the left side and touch your right shoulder. And then yeah. take your hand on the right side and touch your left shoulder. And alternate like the Macarena. Left to yeah. right, right to left, left to right. Perfect. Mm -hmm. You're using both sides of your brain alternating. Now we're going to do both at the same time. If you're standing, take your left hand, touch your right knee, and then your right hand and touch your left knee and alternate. You'll see you have to think a little because yeah. one part of your brain is with your knee and one part's working with the hand. Yeah. Now raise your hand up in the air, your right hand, and squeeze your thumb, and say this like you truly feel it. I feel great. Yes, say it. I feel great. I feel great. Yes. I feel great. Yes. And pull your hand down to your side as you say it. I feel great. Yes, as you say yes. I feel great. Pull your hand down. I Perfect. feel great. Yes. We're gonna three great. sets. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. We're gonna do three sets of these. When you're done, I'm going to show you how to use this in business and school. Are you ready? Yep. Go at my pace. First, the shoulder taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now the knee taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? Better. I feel great. <laughs> oh, I feel great. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're doing it again a little yes. faster. And you do feel a little better because you're moving. We're going to go yeah. a little faster this time. Ready? Shoulder taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Knee taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? I feel great. Yes. Perfect. Last one. As fast as you can possibly go. Watch your knees. Don't bang anything. Ready? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now do your knees. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. How do you feel? Great. I feel great. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Sit down, smile, and feel great. You know what happens when you do this three times? You reset nothing, your energy. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely you have nothing. Moved. Would you like would you like to know how to make it actually work? Sure. Remember Pavlov, he rang a bell, he fed a dog, he rang a bell, he fed a dog. Eventually, the dog drooled when he rang the yep. bell. Yep. You don't want to ring a bell and drool, but every time you do this, you feel a little more awake because you moved. And yeah. when you felt more awake, you squeezed your thumb and said, I feel great, yes. Studies yep. show habits take 90 days, not 30 days to form. So if you do this every day, slow, medium, fast for 90 days, now you're in an important meeting. You don't want to tap your shoulders, you'll look strange. But you squeeze your thumb and say, I feel great, yes, to yourself. And you'll feel the way you did every time you did this drill, more awake. 
and you, yeah. and you can wake up during a test, wake up during a meeting, wake up in traffic. The kids can wake up when they're taking a standardized test. And in the same way, we can teach people to relax and trigger it when they need it so they're not nervous. We can teach them to focus and concentrate. And that's what I'm doing in my programs at birdlearning.com. That's wonderful. Well, everybody, you need to go to birdlearning.com because you are going to learn a lot. Howard, you have some, some wonderful methods and techniques to... Oh, just want to say, we should all Tron be Cast 10. Remember to use Troncast Tron 10. Troncast Tron 10. Cast. Troncast Test. Tron. Troncast 10. So they Troncast get 10% off. And there are free lessons. So before you even buy, you'll be able to test it and see how it works. Yep. And how do you remember 10? It's the bowling pins. So there you go. Yes. Also, <laughs> when we're doing numbers, I make the 10 to 0 because we need 0 to 9. So I make the zero as the 10 bowling pins, but you can use it as a 10 also. All right, excellent, excellent. That is wonderful. Howard, thank you so much for spending time with me today. It's been a blast. I've learned a lot and uh, I have some studying to do to, to master some of these techniques and, and I hope our listeners will do the same. I'm gonna That's set been- you up online with the full program, Tron, as a gift. And you will read 100% faster with outstanding comprehension. You'll eliminate writer's block. You'll know how to remember anything you need to know and do math in your head super fast. That's fantastic. I can't wait to do it and, uh, and to share my successes with everybody so they'll go take advantage of your program as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Howard. It's been great, and I look forward to mastering some of these techniques. You'll love it. It's easy and it's fun. That's also important. I want it to be fun because no one wants to have to work. They want to do something that makes them feel good. Well, and nothing leads to learning better than a few giggles, right? So I'm with you on that. Thanks so much. I'm with you on that. Well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Troncast. And as soon as you're done, head over to berglearning.com. Thanks again, Howard. B-E-R-G. B-E-R-G, not B-U-R-G. B-E-R-G. You got it. Thank you. Thank you, Howard. Hope to talk to you again soon. I'd like that. We can talk about how to be a genius next time. I, we could all use that, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Thanks, Howard. Take care. Take care.